This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 576, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 576. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Ron Richards. It's so great to be here with you, Connor. And Josh Flanagan. Always a pleasure. <laughs> we are. Really, really A-plus introductions. This is the highlight of my week. Let's do this. We are iFanboy. <laughs> Every week we just stack up comics. One of us picks their favorite book or just the one that they pick. We call it the Pick of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, all kinds of fun superpowers. It's a good old time. It's a family-friendly time, as we've come to learn. And it'll be fun. I don't think it is family-friendly. Well, that's, that's the Depends joke. on your family. Kilpatrick family? No problem. Play ball. If you're taking a road trip with your 10-year-old son, <laughs> you can teach him new words. That's the fun of it. Here's your spoiler warning. It's a review show. There'll be spoilers. Exercise some caution. Use that brain. 
It's that lump three feet above your ass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're my seventh grade PE teacher. <laughs> or Tom Hanks and Lily Yeah. Uh, this week, G-dat. I didn't have the pick. It was... Josh. Josh had the Josh had the pick. I, there was a moment I woke up this morning. I will admit I was like, "Oh God, did I have the pick?" <laughs> yeah, that's that's that that must happen. That happens to all of us, I assume. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened to me in a while. But, Not yeah, Connor, but, but I can't tell. You, I was like, "Oh no, it's Josh." Whoo, game <laughs> you on. Could, you could actually you could uh, forecast any show up to two years into the future and give Connor, Connor the random number, and he'll tell you who has the pick. Yeah, he does. It's, it's all up there I, in his brain. I'll be honest. I I used to. And my spreadsheet go the full year out, but then once we all started missing shows, it just I would constantly have to rewrite it. So I only I only go a month out. I like that we found his breaking point finally. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years later, and he's just like he's like, you guys are just I can't keep up. It's fine. <laughs> There's a schedule. Yeah, I only go a month out now. So all right, which is uh, fair. And listen, we have lives. It's okay. Yeah, We're busy, you know? Things happen. So we did it. I have a pick. Yeah. Um, all right. You know how we were having that conversation about five stars versus four stars? Yes. Oh, sorry, Josh. It's only thumbs up or thumbs down now. We should, yeah, we should really just move the thumbs up or thumbs down, I think. <laughs> yeah. It'll be easier. It isn't easier. This I mean, it's a... just a binary decision. Did you like it or didn't you Who like it? Who needs nuance? Yep. Why is there any, any gray area? It's just yes <laughs> or no, good or bad. Works for politics. Exactly. <laughs> Look where Does we it... are. Does it? Anyway, <laughs> go on. Depends on your goals. So this was a four-star week. There were yeah. a lot of four-stars. There was nothing that I was like, oh, that's the pick. It really was. Like, I had to sort of deeply examine, like, well, what? Okay, what I read, I liked these what books. What have I been doing for all this time? Why? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's 7.45 to 8 a.m. every morning. <laughs> I, had to, I had to cap that time. Well, yeah. Well, well, Lindsay needed the bathroom, so yeah. (laughs) I, you know, I'd start to miss dinner and things like that. (laughs) So you don't want to start doing that. Why is Daddy staring off into space and not talking? (laughs) Fucking blue spider. What's the? Oh, don't get me started on the blue spider. Anyway, so pick of the week is the Wild Storm number two. A lot of the things that we had talked about uh, when this was the patrons pick that came out a week ago. Sort of went in, not a week ago, but in, like in the last month. It could have been. Um, Who knows? I know at this point. Uh, issue one was out uh, six hours ago. Uh, <laughs> issue two is out now. Basically, if if I'm reading all these superhero books all the time and I've seen the extent to the superhero story a billion times, I actually don't get too much exposure to these Wildstorm characters who I really like. So there is a specialness to that, I suppose. And then you add that to to Warren Ellis writing. And and again, like, I really, like, I have loved everything he's ever done, but I really like what he does. And we don't see it so often that it still feels kind of special. He, I don't know if he made a decision or he just didn't want to do too much work or didn't have to, but like, when he comes out with books, they still feel kind of special. And after all this time, that's really saying something. Well, he's um, always been he's always been one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Since the beginning. Uh, yeah, if, if I had to say, if you, someone said, "What are Josh? What are some of Josh's favorite creators?" I uh, Warren Ellis would be in the in the in if, like if we're on the match game. Yeah, and you're in the other room. Right. Not the match game. No, if we're on Tattletales and you're in the other room, and I'm on I'm on, I'm there with Burke Convy, and it says, "What you know? What comic creators does Josh like?" I would say I would guess Warren Ellis on that list, and pray that you agreed with me so we can get those points. See, I might not though, because here's the, the here's the thing about Warren Ellis. I really like Warren Ellis's work. The sort of decades long cult of Warren Ellis has made me think I don't sometimes. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like the like yeah. the the calculated marketed personality of that thing, which is Warren Ellis, I'm not as into that. So it tends to give me pause. But really, when he does a thing and he he's invested in it, because there are stories that he's done that he's not invested in, and you can tell. Um, but this feels like he's like, I, I better do a good job on, job on this so I can keep this going if I need the money, basically. <laughs> and, and he should do he should do a good jib on it too. He could. Well, yeah. he's he's a sailor, as you know. Um, <laughs> So you take that, and and what you have here is basically a really sort of well-done reboot, an actual reboot of these Wildstorm characters who I like, who he has actually a pretty good history with. And, um, you know, it's got that right mix of familiarity. Like, these characters aren't very different from the ones that we know, but we've taken away a lot of the history, and we put them in a new uh, paradigm, and we're seeing who they are. You know, and, and how, how this world with these sort of people, you know, it's almost like an Elseworlds for, for Wildstorm, I guess. 
Um, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Like I, I like getting reintroduced and trying to figure out what all the links are between these characters who I, who I know fairly well. Um, I, I'm not a Wildstorm expert, but it, there was a thing when you get a well well written Wildstorm universe book that were it was fun. Like there there's yeah. just something about those that worked really well, which is almost surprising if you think about the era that it came out in, that it had that kind of staying power. Right. Yeah. They 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 started and he especially started changing things. That's yeah. Um, I associate Wildstorm mostly with the. the comics getting better again well and it's it's funny and it's but, funny because i because i feel like wildstorm you know wildstorm to me was always the better part of the image, the image launch yeah, yeah. in the early 90s because it was it seemed really well thought out and had some really engaging characters now in retrospect i understand that a lot of them were just were x-men ciphers and that the same was for cyberforce and and for and for what liefeld was doing which is fine because i'm an x-men fan but for whatever reason even pre pre ellis wildstorm yeah. was always well formed out as like a larger universe than just a singular character yep. um and that's what always attracted me to and then ellis just made it that much better you know before that like there there were some pretty high-end creators who had taken their turn up before Warren Ellis came along with yeah, Stormwatch. Alan Moore had a great run. Yeah. Alan and Moore. James Robinson. Yep. Alan Moore, James Robinson. I can't remember. I think Joe Casey's Wildcats was concurrent. No, was, that, was, that was after. It was, that was, it was after. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, either way, like there have been a lot of good takes. They've sort of been rebooted. Numerous you know, times. I mean, yeah. My, they, my they, extent. Yeah. And, and then when they came into the New 52, it was kind of like, these guys are kind of fun to look at, but they don't belong here. And then they got ditched. Right. Um, so this feels like it's taking it back to like, I don't want them in the DC universe. Right. I don't need Grifter and Voodoo with Batman. It's stupid. I don't really like the Midnighter there, the more that that goes on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so can you t- – uh, does that – I guess that's, I don't know. that's the central question of this series. Is this in the DC universe? It doesn't seem to be. I don't. I don't think it is. I think. Uh, yeah. I think it's out out there on its own, which I think is better off, to be honest with it, you. It, yeah, think. totally. It's just that, as Josh said, Midnighter had had been a fairly uh, frequent yeah. guest star in the Dick Grayson books. Yep. So, so is he is he out? He like That's... everyone else who comes into contact with Dick Grayson, instantly smitten. Instantly smitten. That was exactly the word I was going to use. <laughs> I, I would say for sure this is. I mean, it feels definitely not. But hopefully, they just sort of. Don't ever mention those characters again in the DCU. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You don't need to explain it. Just yeah. move on and just you know not have them. No, well, I, actually, I want a detailed I, scientific explanation of why they're no longer in the DCU. Otherwise, yeah, I will not be satisfied. Pedantic. Yeah. You need an eight series, eight yeah. issue miniseries right. minimum. But I, so I actually have two things. One, I want to hear why why this broke away from the pack for you, Josh. And then I have a I have a uh, craft question for you about this issue. Okay. It was, I mean, honestly, if I had to say, it was the one that when I got to the end, I was like, I really want to read the next one of these. That's, I, I can respect that. I, I really was, I was, I, I, he's got me hooked. I'm interested in knowing, and like, I don't understand it so much. I think we're still in the shadowy reveal phase of everything. Like, I know, like, I know the engineer, but some shit's going on with her and we don't know what it is. I don't know what side of the fence Cole Cash is going to come down on. I don't know, um, Jacob Marlowe exactly where he stands with all this and there's there's a lot of sort of revolving con conflict happening there's the very short appearance of henry bendix which i i loved that sequence as he goes to yell at who's the blonde lady doesn't matter um <laughs> exactly that's a i think it's one of the problems with this book there's a lot of those questions yeah but yeah. to me like we're we're in the we're still in the like the cold open or, or the very early part of the first act i mean it's decompressed. It's this is this is like a Warren Ellis thing, but th- there are bits that it just felt like you know. Remember that? I remember that first time I read Authority. That was that was great. And then somebody's like, "No, no, you got to read all the Stormwatch ahead of time b- before that." And and I went back and and I went through those, and those were wonderful. And th- this feels a bit like that because that was a discovery thing for me. I I hadn't met most of those characters, but as we've you know, they're good characters. Yep. You know, full stop. They keep popping up by different people. It was. It isn't like you know. There's sometimes like a, a a creator or writer will do a run on a bunch of characters and like those characters are great under that guy at that time and never again. But consistently over and over, these characters work. Yep. And and I and I like that. So so every time we sort of 
reshuffle the deck and, and watch what's happening, um, I, I keep getting interested in it. Yeah, I think the DNA of these characters does work. And somebody like Ellis, you know, in a committed, interested Ellis kind of way, yes. which hopefully he is. Hopefully, he's, you know, like it sounds like he is, but we'll see how it goes. We all know we've been we've seen that go to go <laughs> go sour quickly. But um, but yeah, no. So I, I agree that the DNA is spot on. I think if anybody can mind that Ellis can do it into something that's kind of um, contemporary and modern and relevant. Um, and I like the direction it's going in. So I do have a question for you. My process question for you is yeah. related to the art. Uh, John Davis Hunt, who I've previously gone on record by saying that I'm not a huge I haven't I wasn't terribly impressed uh, by the art, but I'm will I'm, I want to see him grow and all stuff like that. Did you pick up on and I'm trying to figure out if this is Ellis indicated if Ellis instructed him to do this or if this is an artist tick. But did you pick up on identical postures by Cash and by the brown-haired guy, I forget his name, later in the book, where they're both uh, rubbing their temple, their forehead, pulling up their hair. It was the exact same pose and happened within pages of each so other. So page 14 is when Cash is doing it. Just yeah, and then a couple pages. On it when yeah, I see it. And, and a couple pages later, the other guy does it, the exact same thing. Page, and I was like, All right, uh, page 22. Right. So is that a... Is that a conscious Ellis's make sure they do this because that's some sort of connection, or is that the artist trying to give them some, you know, kind of acting and ending up being repetitive? So I think it's probably if it was conscious, if it's on purpose, it'd be a hell of a soft reveal that wouldn't matter to anybody. Right. So that's why but I think it's good. I have experience with which to relate to this. Okay. When I was working on making a lot of comics. For a while, I had this thing in my head that I would do, and I would script it, um, where a character would—it um, was sort of like this, where a character who was frustrated would sort of rub their, like, like you bow your head down and you put your hand over your eyes and you rub your temples like that—that that frustration. Right. Yep. And I, I ended up using it like way too frequently. Like one of the artists was like, "You just did this." Right. I, I think it's—I mean, my guess is it's just an unconscious tick, like it's a way to communicate something, and either, either the script said, you know, the character looks frustrated. And that's right. how the artist interpreted it twice in a row. Um, or maybe there's a reason for it. I don't know. I didn't actually notice that. I see now. It seems to have a different... In the second one, the, the dark-haired dude, it doesn't seem to have a purpose as much. Right. Like it's just a pose that he's got as they're trying to get through this talkie scene. Right. But like, I know that was a thing when we talked about the first issue where you guys weren't so into the art, Connor especially so. Yeah. And, and I, you know... I do see a couple of things that like, oh, that's not perfect. But overall, like I, I starts fine. I think it fits the subject. I like this liney style for it. Um, it's it's it seems very wildcatsish, and like that's sort of the correct sort of. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, and, and I think I, I mean, I just found myself not this inconsistency in figure in faces. I don't really like the you know, like I don't know. It's just I, I will give him credit that he's working the nine panel grid, you know, that that Ellis established in the first issue, continuing continuing into this issue, and that's not an easy feat. So I'll give him credit there. Pretty good from a oh, yeah. from a yeah, layout standpoint. There's also there's one panel. It takes up two thirds of the page, and it's the exterior of this building in Brooklyn. Yep. I really love that drawing. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful drawing and it's sort of slightly canted. So it look, makes it look even more ramshackle. And every time he draws Marlo, Marlo looks a little weird. And I think that's because he's not just drawing a small person. He's trying to indicate, you know, without having him next to somebody else that he's like a tiny man. Right. He's like an alien, right? That's his thing. Yeah. Well, he was. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what he is in this world, but yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, so while you yeah, know, Wildstorm, I'm enjoying this reboot, and I want to yeah. see where it goes. So I want to see, it, but I want to see it grow. I felt that this was it's still go, it's still a little slow burn for me. So I would like to see some action pick up. Yeah. So. Uh, you know what though? Like in contrast, to everything. I, I, and this is also it's like a, it's a contrast thing to everything else that I'm reading, where I've got to get an issue every five minutes, and it's going faster than I can remember because there's so much stuff. This right. is like here are some things you kind of yep. know these guys. Hang out with them. I, you know, I, I love how Warren Ellis paces stuff. And if you compare this to Injection, which also came out this week, it was much less obtuse than that. You know, yeah. they're both great looking. Anyway, um, that's why. That's what it was. I'm sticking to it. Uh, no, no excuses. All righty then. So moving on. All Star Batman number eight was probably my second choice for a pick of the week. It was really great looking. Yes, it really was. I I kept going back. It's Giuseppe Camicoli on pencils. And it didn't look like him. 
right. or at least what I think of as him. I, I think he's one of those guys who can do a lot more than we see. But the Dean White color, like he, he Dean White was basically aping Jordi Belair, who'd been on this before, I think. Yeah, it didn't look like a Dean White book. If I hadn't read the name, I never would have guessed it was Dean White. But it was it was seriously good looking. I, w- I will respect your Wildstorm pick, but say the Wildstorm number two did not feature anyone getting knocked out with a flamingo. True. Yeah, I will. I will admit the flamingo. Once again, we we seen to highlight the panels of the week if we were still doing <laughs> it, but the flamingo was definitely up there. I feel like I, you get knocked out with a flamingo. It's pick of the week. I just that's yeah, my that's my own personal a, thing. Yeah. As a, that as did a, come from out of nowhere. <laughs> and it was pretty great. Well, you know what's funny is that like this was a uh, Mad Hatter episode, issue, and, and what you have in that is a lot of hallucination. And I can't yep. stand hallucination. Yep. Uh, I don't really have a thing for the Mad Hatter, but I actually liked this. I liked the way it was done. That sort of thing that normally bothers me did not bother me in this. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, no one actually believes that the Mad Hatter orchestrated Bruce Wayne to become Batman. However, it was a very convincing story. Sure. And I liked the villains as the characters in the in Alice in Wonderland. This was good. I'm, I still think the pinnacle of the series has been that first Two-Face arc. Mm-hmm. And the second arc has been a little hit or miss, but I thought this issue itself was really good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and the backup was really, the Francisco Franco via drawn backup was, was, was really good. I haven't really been totally engaged in that story. However, I liked this chapter a lot. I mean, the big, the biggest problem for me with All Star Batman is just that Snyder has got it down, and they're just so good. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, but it's like it's the chew problem, right? Where it's like consistently so yeah. good. It's not wildly varying in quality. It's very consistent and very. And Kamikoli is is a beast, and uh, I'm a yeah. huge Kamikoli fan. He's and he, you know, he he's got a way to draw. He's been doing Spider Man. He does stuff, you know, like he does stuff all <laughs> over the map. He's doing uh, Green Valley, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And none of the stuff looks the same, which I don't know how he does it. He's, but, he's but, continually yeah. surprising and impressing. Like every yeah. time he does a different thing, you're like, wow, you do that really well, too. Yep. And he's not. I mean, I know him from like a long run on Hellblazer. And I was like, oh, he's that guy. But he's not. He was not just that guy at all. And you go on to right. do Spider-Man after that for a long time. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. But the thing is that, like, I, I find these all-star ones are just very wordy, more wordy than Snyder has been in the past. Well, he's, he's definitely taking a different storytelling tack yeah. here he's he's yeah. doing it more this i mean this issue is there any dialogue is it all captions you know he's doing it more more novelistically well yeah. you know the thing that i actually like about this as opposed to batman like batman when he was on it you settled in and you were there in whatever that story was for a year yeah right uh and in this he's like telling shorter form stories and i think that the that that larger, that more text is basically an effect of that. Like he's got so much that he needs to get out, and in order he can't decompress that much. Yeah, and yeah. so you're you're seeing he's he's doing shorter stories, which I like. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's it's him showing a different side of what he does. But I think that because you know he was a prose writer, is you know that that's got to come out like, and that's just that's part that's goes with a package. But yeah. I like the shorter story. I don't necessarily like to stay in a story for a year and a half that I'm you know seventy five percent invested in. Right. Yeah, it's rare that story is going to be compelling the whole time through. He he did it. He made it work for a bunch of the arcs, but not for all of them. Right. So, Killer Be Killed this week, I really loved. But my only problem with it was I didn't know who the, this person was until halfway through the issue because she radically changed her appearance. Yep. And it wasn't the hair. Explained. The hair color. The hair color change had me had me questioning. You know, I guess we're supposed to pick up her name, but it wasn't until two thirds in the book when it ties back to the main character. Where I was like, "Oh, that's who this is." Well, she's right. the only so, girl in in the series. Yeah. No, yeah. there's the other girlfriend. I mean, she's black. Well, she, this one's she's white, black, but still, I, I, it could have been a brand new character. I mean, they have they have been introduced. This is the first mm-hmm. start of the new act or whatever. You know, this this was right. the, as he he closed out the last one, last issue. Mm-hmm. I really like just. I wanted to highlight this because I really liked the storytelling in this. I liked that it... So Kira, the girl that the main character was in love with in the first arc, is seeing a therapist, and they use her basically family photo album to intersperse the history of her family. I really like that bit of it a, a lot. I still I think Ed Brubaker still brings a lot of innovation to what he's doing. Um, and I thought the book... It was interesting. I always... I'm a sucker for a psychiatrist conversation. 
with the main with the character. But right, yeah. Well, I thought this is a really really great character study. I thought yeah. that it was a really nice departure, you know, and and kind of a nice kind of moment. And I think it became. And he even talked about this in the back matter, but it became something more, not more than that, but I think different than what they intended. Yeah. And that Phillips really brought like the uh, concept of using the scrapbook and the photos. Like just Phillips is just a monster. His art is so good, and and I thought this was great. And and not and this was a great example of how to go deep on a character, give you more background and understanding about that character, and then also have something to move the story along. As we have a big revelation at the end, which I thought was uh, smart because it tied it back to the whole greater thing. So okay. I thought it was great. It was a good issue. This is, so. this is one of those kind of issues that like works really well in comic book form. Yep. Like yeah. it, 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 it. You don't see this so much in something like episodic television or something like that where it's just and it when it is it feels strange but it works in comic book form it's one of those things that this this medium does really well i think sort of yeah. deep background issue where you're just like you put on the brakes you hang out with these people for a little while i always think of there's there's great preacher issues where that that would happen yeah yeah exactly exactly so uh, we were talking last week about the stupidity of the 25th issue milestone right, right. <laughs> and and almost on cue uh, Marvel gives us Amazing Spider-Man number 25, which as far as I could tell, other than being the 25th issue of this iteration of Amazing Spider-Man, no other reason to celebrate this. <laughs> right, so what's the actual number on this? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the actual number is, what the what the real numbering is on this one. Um, yeah, I, I, but I don't think it's a milestone one. But hey, hey Marvel, any chance to charge $9.99 for a goddamn Fuck. book? They're they're just going to take. Furthermore, and when I do the script for the show, I have to write out the creators on the book. Now, and that was I feel, not cool. I feel bad about that because you did not have to do that. <laughs> you did not have to do that. But Connor is listening. But it's someone fine. Actually tweeted, somebody actually tweeted uh, tweeted at me at this earlier in the week kind of complaining about this as being a Spider-Man fan having to play $10 for this 25th issue. And now in Marvel's defense, it is 75 pages of content, right? Yeah, right. There is a lot of stuff in there. But – uh, not a whole lot of anything I want, right? Which is kind of annoying. Two questions. What has the story been thus far? And is this part of it or is this totally like an anniversary no, so, issue? So this is a totally new direction. Basically what has happened is that we, we, the clone conspiracy stuff is over. The Jackal stuff is over. He's still kind of dealing with the remnants of that. But at some point, I forget where uh, the Kingpin gave Spider-Man the location of Norman Osborn. And so now this picks up, picks up that story thread and Spider-Man and Mockingbird with the support of shield are going after Norman Osborn. And it, it kind of comes out of nowhere and it's a little like all over the place. Um, but I did, I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because it's a main, a, a 40 page main story. So it's a double size, you know, kind of main story issue with art by Stuart imminent. Right. Great. And so I was like, all right, fantastic. Like, give me give me some good Stuart Imminent. And it starts off great. It looks great. Josh, there is a blue spider. You know, but I don't think that's Imminent's fault. I think he just drew it regular and the coloring is lighting it blue. The, oh. the glowing blue. <laughs> all right. Okay. But from a story point, it's kind of all over the map. And Peter is just, like, obsessed with finding Osborne to a degree that is – I'm reading Spider-Man every issue – and I don't get where this anger and the, the this drive is coming from other than his, his arch foe and all this sort of stuff. But you just came off of this massive event, and now you're going headlong into this thing where it's supposed to have gravitas and weight. And I'm just like, ah, I don't feel it. And then furthermore, it's – Connor, I always go back to what you say about that Spider-Man where Spider-Man works best when he is – you know, he's trying to get his rent. Yep. You know, and he's trying to – you know, like he's, he's on the bleeding edge or whatever. But here – Peter's the CEO of Parker Industries. He's rich, right? There's, yeah. you know, like he has problems, but like the biggest problem of this issue is that him and Mockingbird need to chase a Norman Osborn in Hong Kong down, and they can't use the Parker Industries private jet because they've already been running it ragged. So they, so they, so so they have to fly commercial. But don't worry, they're in, for, they're they're in first class. I'm not going to be the guy who says the professionals working on the character don't understand the character, but to me that. That is, like, as far from Spider-Man as you can possibly go. Like, there's actually jokes about how, oh, they've got to fly first class. And it's just like, wow, fuck you. And then at the same time, while they're flying first class, Peter decides to hit on Bobby Morris and be like, did you ever see us dating? And it's just like – and, like, for somebody who has hit – and I'll give him credit. I Slot has done a great job on Spider-Man. It is time to go. It is time for him to go. They need to – I know they know they never will, but he needs to let – they need to let loose of this grip. Uh, with slot well, they're they're, they're they're at that second book that 
Chip yeah. Zdarsky's doing, which I guess maybe is the concession to Slot's never going to leave Amazing Spider-Man for, and so they're never going to move him off for reasons not worth getting into. However, we need something else, and so right. maybe because you know it's the Marvel thing of putting a book out around the time of a movie, and I don't know that this Spider-Man is the one you want the fictional moviegoer who walks in the comic store to to stumble upon. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this is this is just and and so like after reading that story, the 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 ten dollar price tag got me even more madder. And the backups, the the other stories are cute. I mean, you got you got a cute little Sum Sum story from Jacob Chabot, which is nice, and you got a you got a good uh, Christos Gage Todd Knox story. Um, and then there's a little small story, which I imagine is launching future. No, it says to be picked up in Amazing Spider-Man number twenty nine. So it's a teaser for four issues from now but it's uh basically dr octopus survived the clone incident and now is uh, in a younger body and has joined hydra and is now going to be the superior octopus and it ties into it ties into secret empire in four issues mm-hmm. which is just like let the doc Ock thing go slot you did so well with superior spider-man it was so great and it was a high point in spider-man's history as far as i'm concerned you gotta let go you gotta know when to leave the party yeah it's 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 sad and 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 shame on you, Marvel, for charging ten dollars for this. Well, one thing comics can't do is leave the party. Yep, they, especially uh, they will spe- they will take whatever was moderately successful and drive it into the ground. Especially Marvel. Yeah, bummer. As evidenced by the quadruple chipping of books. Continue. But that said, forty pages of uh, imminent art was was fantastic. Was it like newer imminent, like his really? No, it was it was Avengers and imminent. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. Yep. Right, there you go. So I wanted to check in on the G.I. Joe comic. We're up to G.I. Joe number three, written by Aubrey Citizen with art by, this name has hit the same word in it twice, Giannis Milano Giannis. He's great. Giannis Milo Giannis. Milano Giannis. Giannis Milano Giannis. (laughs) I like that his first name is in his last name. That's what I was was getting at. Yeah, yeah. That's some rapper shit. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, are either of you reading this? I have all three issues on my iPad. I just I haven't read them. So I want you to understand what this is, mm-hmm. because basically the point is. I mean, you told us about the first issue, but I'm curious. Continue. Yeah, but uh, the point is that basically, Citizen has said that all the other GI Joe arcs have gone deep into sort of realistic spycraft slash military stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is out there. It's more like. There's dire wraiths. There's a transformer, specifically a Decepticon that you know on the team. There's space knights. Like it's this is the culmination of all the stuff IDW is doing. I mean, yeah, sort of. They're it's doing a Rom like Space Knight book, and which had, yeah, it's which not had like GI Joe in it, and then they're yeah, it's not like a full-on crossover in that way. It's it's self-contained, but like basically they're they're just saying like, let's make this wacky. We're not going to make hyper realistic military stuff. Larry Hama had that covered, right? Right. You're not um, going to do it better so, than Larry Hama. That's for no sure. No one and, and will do the, it better than Larry Hama. It's a really good point. The other day on Instagram, one of the artists I follow posted, a fo- I think it was Jerome Pena, posted a photo from issue 21, the silent issue. I saw that, yep. And yep. I was just, it, took me, it took me instantly back, and I was like, that might be one of my all-time top 10 comics, that, that particular Yeah, I, it's, it's one of the most important modern comics ever if you think about who it influenced. Yes. You know the people, the people who are our age, who are who are making comics now, and especially the artists, like they all remember that. That talk was about a big that last deal. page reveal. Oh, continue. Yeah. Oh. Uh, anyway, so let's we'll just talk about of, that. <laughs> I can't do that. That's that would be that would be a disservice. Okay. Um, anyway, so like the small team here is uh, it's Roadblock and and uh, Lady J and and Rock and Roll and Quick Kick, and they've all been kind of redesigned. And while I like the designs of the characters, the art's a little unpolished. Hmm. Which isn't necessarily a drawback, but it is not what you're used to with this. And I think the same thing, like the coloring is a little less. Well, it's, fun. it's, it's funny because uh, like Giannis Milo Giannis, Giannis is somebody who I discovered through Brandon Graham um, when he brought he did, him in. He did one of the uh, profit for this. He, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and he did the profit book. And it's that whole kind of Brandon. Brandon Graham's got his own little corner of comics world and his, and his acolytes and that sort of thing. And and it's funny that, you know, ID, I, I will give IDW credit for taking these books and using unconventional artists on yeah. them. 
so I kind of like the fact that he's on it, even though if it's not it's not a polished art. You know, I mean, just like they, they had Tom Scioli doing that big G.I. Yeah. Joe Transformers thing a couple of years ago. You know, well, like that, I mean, there's yeah. basically there's bits of this art that I really like. There's there's sort of some face acting, which is almost like it's it's cartooning, you know, like in the in the traditional sense. I really love the design and the look of rock and roll every time he's on, he's up on a page. The dreadnoks are in this one. But then there's other bits where where you 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 know you're there's a shot of basically the, the Decepticon on the team is Skywarp and and he needs them to fix something. So he's working with them, which is a fun, you know, just like uh Clayface in Detective or something like that, except he's a giant jet robot, which is yeah. silly. Uh, but you know, then there's anyways that shot of Skywarp. Like it's not a good Transformers drawing. Like mm. it's it's off. Um, but sort of in terms of intent and 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 you know what the art is telling me and what it's doing, it works fine for that. It's just there's there's bits of it that are not quite. Uh, I think what we're used to. I'm trying to think of the name of the artist who was on GI Joe Cobra. <laughs> no, that's not it. The dog knows. <laughs> I can't speak English though. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, you know, yeah, shoot. Who was that? Get in here. I'll find out. Yeah, like that was a real big surprise that it was fully buttoned down, sort of like pro level, very polished. And this is this is much looser than that. Um, it works, and I think it works with the content, but I think it might be a turnoff to people who are you know traditional sort of GI Joe fans who want to go back in. But this really has a lot. You know, Aubrey's a he's a wrestling guy, and I feel like that sort of bombast is in all these pages, and that's what he wants us to be. And I, what I love is that he refers to GI Joe as the crown jewel of the Hasbro universe, much in the way that I refer to Wedge and Tilly as the hero of the rebellion. In fact, in exactly which, the same way. Which I, I will I will not disagree with. I it, think it, I, of yeah, course it is. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like Transformers is formidable, but GI Joe is the crown jewel. Yep. Well, he, I mean, you know, you'd point out that this is the oldest property. It's original. It's homegrown. Transformers, you know, wasn't wasn't yep. exactly that. And and uh, I like that it, it rankles Transformers fans. I don't know why. It <laughs> like, really does make them angry. Antonio, Antonio Fuso drew. Uh, there Cobra. you go. Yeah, he was great. And, yeah, what happened to that guy? Yeah. All right. So <laughs> cool stuff. That's, that's I, I might check, check it out. It's fun. I might check this out. Yeah, I have. I've, I've kept the GI Joe stuff at arm's length, but I like Aubrey's work. And, and don't I like, act like you're all above GI Joe. I'm not above GI Joe. Just I can't do it all all the time. That's I all. Get I get that. I haven't read the last mini, but don't don't say it like you're above. I'm not saying I'm above it. Joe. No, it's just a commitment factor. That's all. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, talking about commitment. Uh, listen, audience, listener, person on the other end of this, uh, the, these headphones. Uh, we enjoy. We we thank you for your commitment, to iFanboy. These past eleven years have enlightened our lives, and we hope that enlightens your lives. And if you have been enlightened, you can you can give back. By helping support iFanboy, just go to iFanboy.com slash support, uh, and there are numerous ways that you can support iFanboy. There's a link to go shop on Amazon. Uh, do all your shopping on Amazon, and then Amazon gives us a little kickback uh, as a thank you for your business. Not a dime comes out of your pocket uh, unless – except for what you're buying from Amazon. Uh, that's, that's on you. That's we, not on we, us. We wet our beak. Yeah, exactly. We're not responsible for buying your Amazon purchases. Let's make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> Using our link is not <laughs> – yeah. So, um, and if you would like, uh, if you would like to directly support iFanboy, and you want to give us money, if you're a eccentric billionaire, uh, you can go to the direct donation button via PayPal uh, at iFanboy.com/support, uh, iFanboy.com/support, where you can donate any dollar amount of your choosing. And we thank everybody who does that. But the best way to show your true enlightenment and support of iFanboy is to go to Patreon.com/iFanboy and become a patron. Uh, there, we've got various uh, levels of patronage. Uh, we get you various rewards stickers buttons comics from our collection comics we've held in our hands can be yours uh, by signing up at patreon.com uh, anyone who signs up at five dollars or higher gets a uh, stupid superpower and we'll be doing that later in the show and earlier in this year we reached our latest goal which was to add t-shirts and listen folks they're coming it's launching the launch is nigh we've been designing this week we, yeah exactly we've been designing shirts it's gonna be pretty cool so uh and that's all because of you guys uh so it's all thanks to your support and ratings so go to Ratings. Patreon, Ratings. patreon.com slash iFanboy. You can sign up from a dollar or higher, whatever you like. And we thank everybody who's done that. We thank you for your support. Let's talk more about comics now. I'm so happy that Box Office Poison is being reprinted in issue form and I get to read it like this. I was really wondering when you were going to check in with that kind of like, like – I wasn't sure if you were going to stick with it because you've read it already and because you're, yeah. you're friends with Alex. But I'm, I'm glad that this is – Oh, it's a whole other thing. Yeah, Did you yeah. stick with it, Ron? Because I – I have them, no. again, much like G.I. Joe on my iPad, but when I have like a week with 21 books, I go, oh, I've already read this, yep. and I skip it. And then I just, yeah, I me too, unfortunately. But yeah. I haven't read it in so long 
that it, right. it's it's not that it's completely new, but it, it really it's like watching, you know, your, your favorite movie or show again. Like and it's been such a long time that there's something else that comes to it. And the color, whatever, I could take or leave the color. It's a box office poison color comics number three. If you don't know what we're talking about, there's a graphic novel. Oh, that was serialized. That then be, I read it as a graphic novel. Box office poison came out in 2000, 2001, done through the late 90s. Um, story not by Alex Robinson, which I consider to be one of the best examples of sort of the regular people graphic novel comic book stories. Huge book for me in terms of like favorites of all time. And and what's great is that with it coming out like this, we're talking about it again. And I've gotten several messages from people on, on social media who've been like, I finally read it because you said, and every one of them, I've never had anybody come back and like, it wasn't that great. Everyone's like, thank goodness you you made me read this. Like Alex is a singular talent and his 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 perspective and, and his point of view and his sense of humor are wonderful. And I thought that when I didn't know him, I think it now. And it's super fun to read these books again. And I love the um, appendices notes at the end. Good stuff. Uh, Spider-Man number 14 from Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. Uh, I'm not reading the Spider-Gwen part of this crossover. So I I like not having any idea what's going on. But two quick observations. One, didn't the big Hickman secret world, battle world, uh, secret wars thing get rid of the multiverse in Marvel? I don't know. Don't know. Did who knows? Pretty sure it did, but for some reason, uh, a scene started with Earth six one six as a caption, and then and I know Spider Gwen exists in another in another multiverse, yeah, another it, it, universe. By, by definition, it couldn't because of the Spider Gwen books. Right. Yeah. So I know that exists. But anyway, but so they hop through dimensions. They stop in the noir universe, which I've, uh, you know, again, I didn't know still existed. But at one point, they hop again and they land in Metropolis. Yeah. There's the Daily Planet, and Superman flies by, and Spider-Man goes, "Ugh, what's that smell?" Yeah, yeah, and so, and then they go to the Marvel Zombies universe and all that stuff. I just did. I thought we had gotten rid of the multiverse in Marvel, but I guess not. So there you go. That's all I had. You need to ask a physicist if you can truly get rid of a multiverse. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Or or anybody who's involved in comic book sales. Somebody get Neil deGrasse Tyson on here. Archie 18 was uh, a guest artist. Pete Woods. It looked really great. It was a tale of two dates. Uh, Veronica has been off. In, remember when I used to do the Archie report all the time? I, I, I do, do, yeah. Do that again. Although now that Ron and I are watching Riverdale, I feel like Archie's more in my brain than, than ever. Veronica's been off in a Swiss boarding school. She was sent there as a punishment from her father. Uh, she's back now, so she and Archie uh, have going on a date. They haven't been on in a long time. While Betty and Do- D- Dilton Doily are hanging out. He thinks it's a date. She doesn't realize it's a date. And so there's two dates going on. It's happy and sad. The Doily and Betty date goes actually really well. They go to a car show because they're both really into cars, and they realize they've got a lot of common. So she's sort of resistant to dating Dilton, but at the end of it, she thinks she's give it a try. I just can't. I can't take any of this seriously. I love it. You watch Riverdale, and you get really into it. For some reason, in the comics, it's just very, and it's also funny to hear you talking about this sort that's, of soap opera stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But the, actually, the the main the main meat in the issue is Archie and Veronica realize they actually have very little in common. And it's oh. a, a very kind of sad uh, date because they're, they're excited to see each other and then slowly but surely they realize what each other wants to talk about is something the other person has no interest in whatsoever. And uh, mm-hmm. by the end of it, it's a little sad. So that was actually a rare sort of emotional gut punch from Archie. It was good. Can you say, Dil- can you say Dilton Doily? Dilton Doily, though, he, was, he sealed the deal with his car talk. <laughs> All right. Like, like click and clack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Just like that. I love when they laugh. It's so much fun. Uh, I remember I told you I, I did a U-turn in the action comics that revealed about Mrs. Mrs. Pitlick. Mrs. Pitlick. And because of that Paul Dini backup story, I was also totally fine with Superman 19. In fact, I was I was actually really enjoying it. So it was nice that I started to not like the reveal, and then I came around, and now... It's been good, this re- yep. Reborn story. Yeah, it has, and I, I think... It it was a little sort of typical, like sort of they're you know they're they're there and they're breaking through the dimensions and and love and family overcomes whatever you know magic uh, Mick Spitlick has. I like that he was drawn differently here than he even was in the last one. He can sort of be a different thing, and I I like the character of John. The so for a second, yeah, okay. for a second I thought if this is in a way that like Damien did not work, this does work for Superman. I think. Well, we have talked about Superman is different. He's more he's a little more paternal as a character than the other ones. The sort of last page of Deja New 52 should have been abhorrent, but from the character in this situation, I was like, all right, I'll allow that. And he's the one who's got sort of more omniscience than everybody else. 
and he's silly. You know, the, that page is the original Superman. What Lois are alive again? Or not the original, but the New 52 versions. Yeah. I don't know if I feel about that. Oh, I didn't even follow. I, I think I just don't look at the costumes anymore because there's too much pain involved. Yeah, no, that's that was the whole thing. Is they were manifested back alive. That's the young Superman, Lois, who had died, and Jonathan. Mm. Yeah, so then you look at the next cover, which is teased, and it's it's both of them. It's it's the new and old Superman. Well, it's the same amount of Clark Kent's that we had recently, so... You get a Clark Kent! You get a Clark Kent! I, you are right, though. I, I don't want two Supermans. No. That doesn't work. I'd rather have one blue Superman. <laughs> All right. I love blue. I love blue and red Superman. I'm still. I did. I, I love the electric Superman. That was yeah. great. I love that. That should be that should be the curveball. They bring that back. Batwoman number one. I don't remember if after talking about Batwoman Rebirth, I said I was going to stick with it or not. I should point out those are not legally binding proclamations. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. Mostly because I, I feel like I feel like I said I'd stick with a lot of books that I sure as hell didn't. <laughs> I just I can't remember what we say as soon as the show yeah. ends. But I read Batwoman number one. And I actually enjoyed it. It's uh, the same creative team from the Rebirth book, which is rare. So it's uh, Marguerite Bennett and James Tiny in the fourth and Steve Epting on art. I think I just like having Steve Epting art in my life, even if it looks a little yeah. different because of the coloring. The coloring was better than the, than the Rebirth issue this time around. Yeah, it was a little better. It's still not what I would want from Epting, but it's yeah. still slightly better. I think I just like his art. In, it makes me happy. And I think he's actually a really good fit for Batwoman. This is in for international globetrotting adventuring Batwoman, at least in this issue. So, you know, I wasn't fully... Did you read it, Ron? Yeah, I read it. What did you think of the Batwoman logo-shaped computer monitor? I felt like that was... I loved it. I was like, where can I get one of those? (laughs) I feel like that's really inefficient. I I really like... I I don't know if you know this about me, but I really like novelty-shaped monitors. (laughs) Like if I if I could have a series of circle monitors, I would get by them in a second. I, if I could have a bat shaped monitor, that would be amazing. I love I love novelty monitors. So I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about this. I just I like the way it looked, and I actually much like Batman Incorporated. I like you know to sending the characters off into unusual yep. places to have adventures. So. It was enjoyable. All right. Well, those are the books that we read this week. And of course, as we mentioned, patrons of iFanboy get special perks. And one of those perks is they get to vote on a book to make us read and talk about. And how did the voting look this Connor, Connor in total? Are we back to lower numbers? Or did we, are we uh, it was some- not as high as last week, but higher than it has been in previous weeks. Listen, you patrons, you, you, we're doing this for you. We, we, you you got you to gotta participate. Also, I would like to point out there was discussion on the patron post on Patreon. Yes. Such a fanboy. People were advocating for their books. That should happen Ooh. more often because that's the way to build support for your books is to let people know what you've been voting for. Yep, except uh, for one patron who she knows who she is. She knows, she knows what she did. <laughs> but yeah, so the patron pick for this week is American Gods Shadows, number one. A story by Neil Gaiman, script and layouts by P. Craig Russell, art by Scott Hampton with a cover by Glenn Fabry. P. Craig Russell did a backup story too. So those two. Yes, and we'll talk about that. But uh, And this is a miniseries spinning off of the American Gods novel by Neil Gaiman. Uh, lots of eyes whenever there's a Neil Gaiman comic book on board. I was not planning on reading this, so I'm glad the patrons made me. What did you guys think well, of it? Well, I think it's important to note. I think it's just American Gods. Yeah. Shadows is the title of the story. Miniseries. Yeah. Well, it doesn't on the cover. Oh. It doesn't say American Gods. Yeah, Shadows it was listed that way on Diamond, though, so I, I yeah. think I... It's American Gods Shadows. I'm just saying it's not on the cover. I did not read this novel. I think it was the last Neil Gaiman book I read. <laughs> I know people who are big Nugget Gaming fans who have not been able to finish the American Gods novel. My take on it was that it wasn't bad, but once you recognize, I don't know if he still does this, but once you recognize that his thing was to keep doing gods among us over and over, because that's what Sandman was, that's what American Gods was, that's what Anansi, Anansi Boys, I think, was another type of god who was living among us in our world. I got like, all right, I get I get it. It's it wasn't my favorite thing. Like the books were fine, but I, 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 they never stood out to me as like amazing, life changing reading experiences. But Neil Gaiman fans are are, are rabid, and I, uh-huh. I've heard from Neil Gaiman fans that love American God. They just love to have anything. So it's it's uh, not that he just shits out whatever it is, but I I, I have heard positive reaction from Neil Gaiman fans. Book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, like, what, yeah. What about this comic book? I liked I it. I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I didn't love it. You know, I don't know the world, so I'm I'm still figuring it all out. We'll talk about the backup, but I have heard of this famous backup scene before. I liked it, though. It a- there wasn't a lot of explaining going on, basically. I- yeah. So it's about this character, Shadow Moon, who gets out of prison. He was in prison for robbery. 
but he's a model prisoner, so he's got time knocked off, and he's excited to get back to his young wife, who dies right before he gets out of prison. And so on the way home, he runs into this Mr. Wednesday character, who offers some work. That's really it. That's literally, literally the, the summation of the first issue. And then there's a backup story. If it's a miniseries, it was very decompressed. Like if it's, yeah. if it's, if it's a short, like a six-issue series, it's going to be very interesting. You learned a lot about the Shadow character, and I like that a lot. But as far as plot goes, there wasn't a lot that happened in this issue. Yeah. I thought the prose and the dialogue and everything was great. I, I, I couldn't, yeah. stand, couldn't stand a single panel of the art. Interesting. And, you know, like comparing it to my game and reading experience with Sandman and things like that is, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, I don't know Scott Hampton, nothing against him or anything like that. I just did not like the style. I would ex- I was hoping for, I was disappointed because I would say, okay, I'm going to read this Neil Gaiman book. And I'm like, oh, this art is nearly unreadable. Wow. I liked it a lot. I, didn't, I did I not didn't, like it. I did not like the style of the art that much. Yeah. I, it was like I kept looking to see like, it feels like a celebrity face, but I can't tell which. Yeah. P. Craig Russell did the layouts, and yeah. I actually think that they were great. Like, well, the, I love the I love the backup. Like, I got to the backup, and I'm like, yeah, give me this, and then I realized yeah. it was P. Craig Russell, and I was like, ah, oh, come on, you know, but, like, you know, it, but you know. he did the he did the layouts, so like that's yeah. that storytelling style, those panels, which are all over the place, is, is all him, and it works because dude's a master. Yeah, I, I would I I was disappointed in the art. That's all. That's my whole thing. Okay, so ratings, ratings, four. Three. Well, I'll go three and a half then. I'm between three and a half and four, but that, that works. So, all right, sticking with it. Probably not, but I'm open to it. I'm right I, with you. I am not. I will consider it next time it comes out. It'll depend on the week I have, depend on how many books I've got, if it's my pick or not. It'll depend on a lot of things. Give me a series of P. Craig Russell doing sexy time like that backup, and I, I might have changed my mind. Is it sexy uh, time? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, mean, I, mean, no, it wasn't, I don't know what you're into, it, buddy. It, honestly, it depends on who you ask because, you know, <laughs> there was a life-sized god vagina who was, uh, consumes was. human men. It's hard to ignore that. Hard to ignore that. Somebody out there is like, well, that's my jam. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so that was the patrons pick. So thank you guys for voting for that. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier, patrons uh, that, that uh, sign up at the $5 or higher level get a, a superpower bestowed onto them. And if you would like that, you can go to patreon.com slash ifanboy to get your dumb superpower. Connor, kick us off. Okay. A, I don't know if we've done this one already. B, I'm going to steal it because we're all thinking it. But Brandon Adcock, thank you. He can talk to dogs. I don't think we've done that yet. He understands dogs. He, all dogs, all breeds, all versions. He would have told you Antonio Fuso was the artist on G.I. Joe Cobra earlier. <laughs> faster than I did, but he's got it. All right. All right. He's man's best friend's best friend. <laughs> Lovely. All right. Josh. Uh, Ron King sees everything like the Terminator does. Oh wow, that's going to be very close to the one I've got for the next guy. But that's with inf- like with information or yeah. with or yeah. like with code. Uh, he, he can he or words. is it red? Is it red? <laughs> it, it 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 zooms in on things and it it tells him what that is. Okay, it's, so it's, it's information constantly. So, yeah, it's con- so is his constantly. brain hooked up to the internet? Well, if he doesn't have a good cell signal, sometimes it's a bit slower, which can be a problem when you get that spinny beach ball in the middle of your field of vision. So it is a technically ba- it's te- it, like it's dependent on technology. He needs a Wi-Fi signal. Right. Yeah. Like if, like if he was born in 1904, he would just see red and no information. You know what? If he's born in 1904, it could be a problem. Right. Because it's just not hooked up and then he's not going to function optimally. But Amazing that the superpower is compatible with the protocols of LTE and 3G. <laughs> what if protocols change? <laughs> Uh, you know, he's not going to live forever. What about 4G? When it goes to 4G? <laughs> like, yeah, what, what if we get some kind of new kind of G that We've we don't know about? Yeah, does, it like, st- does, it st- does it adapt? Does it work with it? Or? I didn't realize I had to have all these just. What if we get to H? What happens when we get to H? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Ron King can deal with that. Uh, I want to thank next Edward Bauman or Bowman. And you know that phrase that uh, when people when people uh, when people are talking about you, your ears start burning. <laughs> <laughs> that that literally happens to Edward. That his ears start burning when people talk about him. He doesn't know what they're saying or where, but he knows that somewhere someone is talking about him. Well, and it's not it's not it's not a, it's not like a de- de- like a uh, like uh, incapacitating burning. It just it's a little like a little singeing going on in his ears. So it's not like he's he's gonna die. It's just annoying. No, but he might go crazy wanting to know what who's talking about him and why. But that's a that's a different thing. That's his cross to bear. <laughs> okay, Jameson Alcorn 
Um, also, much like Ron King, he sees in a heads-up display. However, what information he is constantly seeing is he has an accurate real-time running tally of his in-and-out calorie and nutritional information. Oh, wow. So he's not connected to the Internet. No. It's, it's, okay. it's a mystical power. It comes from, from the, the calorie force. And, uh, calorie like he the eats, speed for it. Yeah, he eats a muffin. He knows exactly how many calories, how much sugar, how much everything he just put into his body. And then when he's sitting, you know, working out, he sees the number go and burn down. He's got a real-time display of his uh, nutritional information. Tell you something, that's useful. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be helpful. He's, if he sees all greens, he's good. If he's in the red, that means he's out of balance. He needs to, he needs to change. All right. Well, there, there you have it, your latest patrons' powers. You can go to patreon.com slash ifanboy uh, to get your patron powers. Don't miss out. Who doesn't want their ears to burn or to get information pumped into their brain via the internet or not? Uh, <laughs> all right, let's hear from the audience. Let's, let's hear from the audience. Uh, Lucas from Austria says, Two weeks ago, you made the dregs your pick of the week, and this got me thinking. Over the last couple of years, the cultural food trend spilled into comics and resulted in books like Chew, Starve, Seconds, Get Jiro, or The Dregs. Similar things happen to trends like social media, reality TV, or casting shows. So what are, in your opinion, the most prominent or lasting effects specific cultural trends had on comics over the last decades? What is a casting show? I think he just means like a reality TV. He's from Austria. I think there's a, a language thing going on there. Or maybe in Austria they have something called casting shows that we don't even know about. Some kind of new thing we don't even know about? <laughs> Somebody texted us, a friend of ours texted me the other day asking what the hell that joke was a reference to. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're maybe young. Some kind of joke, maybe yeah. some kind of joke he doesn't even know about. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> 2003. Ron, when we talked about the dregs, you mentioned the, how the food element, but I, I don't think the food element is all that important to the, the dregs. The food element, well, or it hasn't been a, a revealed. I mean, the food element was like a. I a think key, it's it a was, factor. It was, it was a factor, and it was a bigger factor in the first issue than the second issue. I would never call the dregs a food book, though, like those other books. Yeah, no, it's more of a. It's more of a. Uh, it's like, it's, the real estate crime to me is the bigger thing. Yeah, exactly. Someone actually tweeted uh, that apparently it, it is very. Vancouver is like that. Like it yes. is not very fictionalized. Not less so in the overdosing murders to to fuel a restaurant, but more so in the separation of the you know uh, homeless. But anyway, um, which is a social issue. I think, and that's the thing. I think. I think the the to answer the question, the biggest cultural trends is you know, but the, but comics has always tapped into social issues. Yeah. Um, whether the drugs, the drug you know drugs in the seventies or whatever it is. Comics are a great reflection on what's going on in the world around us. So, like, you know, like, yes, we've seen social media. Yes, we've seen reality shows. We've seen social issues. We've seen, well, you, go, you know, politics. Go we've even seen, further you know, back to the 40s, and comics were in on Hitler more before the government was. Yeah. You go even back to the 1700s, and there were cartoons making fun of the British. Like, right. like visual communication of cartoons and, and comics has been a staple for as long as the press has been around i think which is i mean by printing press not the yeah. media so it's an easy way to reflect ideas visually than it is you know to get people to see something go, oh yeah i get that and laugh yeah. you know and well so. the thing about that is that i think that like tv has followed that but only because what happened in tv was that it split into so many different channels isn't the word i'm looking for but also that works that individual shows are are, are less high stakes than they used to be and there was three networks. Everything you did was super high stakes. They couldn't afford to offend anybody. And now you've got such a diversification of where you get media that you can have more niche projects. And that, I think, is reflective of how comic books have operated and certainly how indie comics have operated over the last 40 years or so. And so it's I don't know that it, comics have set that trend, but they were doing it first because of the situation. Yeah. I'm trying to think about, like, what trends from comics. I mean, like... Comics, storytelling methods, characters, like that has become the, it is the mainstream of media now. Yeah, it's funny how it's kind of reversed and influenced that, you know, but but even then, I mean, comics operates as a reflection of the world around us. And mm -hmm. and it's curious to see if then the, the, the translation of comics to other media continue that reflection. I think they do. Honestly, I think Deadpool as a movie is a great example of that. Yeah. There's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot of stuff in Deadpool that reflects our society today. 
And also um, you see there's a lot of niche sci-fi kind of episodic books and TV and, and even movies and things that have been going on in comics for decades that were not accepted by the mainstream before. Yeah. And like that that sort of acceptance of, I mean, there's that stupid, you know, the nerds have won, you know, but in that sense, they have, you know, the comics are not the province of, you know, of uh, basement dwellers and, and, and people who still live with their parents in the same way that they ever were. That's it's never been like this. You know, yeah. it, it, when you when I see when I'm talking to a lay person and, and if it ever like comes up and this has happened, we're, we're like, well, we're like well, who's Jack Kirby? And I was like, he's the guy who is responsible for almost everything you're watching in some way. You know, like all the things that are popular, that kind of science fiction, the superheroes, the designs and, and, and far out thinking, you know, like Stanley, Jack Kirby and, and you know, Gardner Fox, who, you know, all those people like they set the tone for what entertainment is today. Yeah, I think. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Uh, we got a voicemail or a audio message. Hey, I fanboys, Tom Owen, Michigan, and I was just listening to the show and had to pull over mid-listen because I just heard something that was like a shot to the heart there. And uh, I've been thinking about this uh, all throughout the ensuing IVX conversation, and I'm going to skate by on a technicality that I've been thinking about it for a long time because that miniseries felt like it went on for an eternity. But uh, anyways, uh, Ron doesn't like the Rolling Stones, and that hurts. You know, I'll continue to enjoy the musical intros and outros, I guess, just now with a little tinge of sadness, knowing that uh, that they just got dissed. But uh, anyways, keep on doing what you guys are doing, and I'll keep on listening. Thanks, guys. Well, talk about a tinge of sadness. I'm sad that you're sad at that. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm on the right side of history here. Wow, I didn't think it was going to go that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it would be an <laughs> I apology. Thought, I, thought, yeah. I thought an older Ron was going to be more contrite and say, you know, well, you know, we've all got things. And, and well, no, here, like here's, the, here's the thing. This is actually a consistent point of pain between my, me and, and my significant other. And I, I understand the cultural significance and contribution the Rolling Stones have given us. I get that. And I understand that there's a couple of good songs here and there. But holy shit, go away. Like it's done. It's done. You think that there's like, are you, do you feel like you're getting new albums thrown at you all the time by them or something? No, or are you just, just sick their, of just their continued existence just bugs the shit out of me for some reason. <laughs> and I don't like them. And it, it boils down to like the, in the in the pantheon of music, it's like, are you a Beatles or Rolling Stone person? I'm a Beatles person. And that's just what the, do that's you the not t- like. I don't like, I'm not a big Jagger fan. Like what the Rolling Stones are based in kind of, and Josh, you know, I mean, we, the, in, in that kind of more bluesy rock kind of you know kind of mode and i that's never all, been all, like all rock music no no Literally not all, all of it. well no the in the 60s and that, that influence of there but i that's not what has attracted me to rock music and i don't really like that as much i just i i, I don't like ron wood i don't like charlie park i just don't like the look of them charlie I just parker don't like, was uh, definitely not in the Rolling Stones, <laughs> not was. Charlie Park, Charlie Daniels, Charlie Daniels, Charlie Daniels, Charlie Daniels, Charlie Daniels, not in the Rolling Stones. Who's no. the drummer? Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Also, by the way, the combination of Ron Wood and Keith Richards makes vanity searching for myself very difficult. So, all right, well, let's put that <laughs> aside for a second. But is it because of all of the use in Martin Scorsese's films? No, not even that. Does that I mean, make it I, worse? I think that's no, it doesn't make it worse. I just, I kind of roll my eyes at that. I just kind of okay, get on with it. You know, like I don't know. I just not. I'm not a Rolling Stones Talk guy. Talk about trends, but back when, when Rock Band was a thing and we played yeah. it, the three of us together, you belted out Give Me Shelter like no one has ever belted it out since the re- original Rolling well, Stones. Hey, listen. listen, I want a good score in Rock Band. I'm going to show up. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to boycott the song. You know, I just say, I'm just saying that you give me a quarter to go go put in the jukebox. I, I've got one song. I'm not doing a Rolling Stones Are song. you in 1974 when you have this quarter? I, I wish. <laughs> It's just I a could, visceral. It's just a visceral, visceral thing. I don't I like it. It's it's like me with. Yeah. No, I was going to say the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but the fact is, I just don't like Anthony Kiedis. Right. Yeah. And no, I think I that you, certain music, you can say, yeah, that music's good or whatever. But whatever it's trying to get across, whatever sort of, if it's their party vibe or their like, like, what are the Doors trying to get across? I can't get into it. It, it nothing else matters because their art is visceral. All uh, art yeah. is visceral. Music t- tends to be stronger because it's it's an audio thing, and you react immediately to it. You. You can't sit and ponder a song like a painting because it's happening in real time in your ears. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you can ponder it afterwards, but it's not the same kind of experience as experiencing uh, visual art. So it's, it tends to evoke really strong opinions. Yeah. And it's visceral, and you either like it or you don't. Or you don't care, and, and, as I don't care about most music. We're talking about the Rolling Stones, but I could, we could sit here for half an hour and I could rattle off bands that I, I dislike with the same amount of passion. 
A half an hour, he says. Oh, that, that'd <laughs> be could, getting us through could, the A's at that point. We could literally do 12 hours. Don't get me started on ACDC. <laughs> oh, fucking ACDC. Oh, All right. All right. If you want to get in on the show, contact at ifanboy.com is where you can send us your email. Or, like Tom, you can you record a little voice message and send that also to contact at ifanboy.com. And I just want to just, again, just quickly justify, Tom, you're, you're more than, you know, like, I, I don't judge you. Like, I don't judge Rolling Stones fans. That's cool. They're, like, I respect it. It's just not for me. So, anyway. All right. Let's move on. So thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to listen to other great podcasts, you can check out uh, my other podcast, Damn Fine Podcast, at damnfinepodcast.com, where we're rewatching and re-celebrating uh, Twin Peaks in anticipation of the new season coming this May. And this past episode featured none other than Mr. Connor Kilpatrick. You can't get rid of me. Can't get rid of me. Good thing you were there, because that was a, a traumatic episode. Oh, God. I, I had nightmares about <laughs> really just before doing that show. So, yeah, so please check out damnfinepodcast.com and hear Connor talk about Twin Peaks. Uh, so this month we have our Booksplode episode. It'll be The Flash by Mark Wade, Volume 1. We're going to talk about that. I believe it's going to come out in two weeks, but that's happening soon. And our patron hangout, which normally happens on Monday nights, is now happening Sunday. So if you are one of those listeners who jumps on the show right on Sunday and you're a patron, the hangout is tonight. It's going to be Sunday <laughs> the 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if, you, if you're a patron and you can't do that, we always archive the show on the patron page, so you can always check that out there. But uh, we're going to be settling the question once and for all, who are the goddamn American treasures among us? And I assume no Rolling Stones will be on that. In advance of that, we're talking about goddamn American treasures, and yeah. we're talking about American treasures, yeah. right? Yeah. Do we yeah. ha- is there a third level of just treasures? Maybe. We'll figure that like out. Like a James time. Franco? <laughs> well, that that will be discussed in the Hangout. So there, okay, there tune you in go. To, tune in tonight to, to listen to that. So, um, and you can head over to I, head over to ifanboy.com. I just sort of say I think I nailed that. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> head over to ifanboy.com where you can find all of our other podcasts, links to Patreon, all the fun stuff. It's all there. And if you're on social media, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/ifanboy or follow us on Twitter at ifanboy. Um, and that's where you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out on Twitter and on Facebook as well. If you're a patron, patron member you can find it on patreon uh we just want to keep you informed and of course you can follow us all individually on twitter uh i am at ronxo josh is at ja flanagan and connor is at cs kilpatrick twitter and instagram finally if you like the show write a review on itunes please or just leave us a star rating while you still can better yet tell your friends about the show moms remember hashtag fn moms we want to hear from you say hi yes Tell us what you think when you saw the Rolling Stones play live and now you feel really hurt about what Ron says. <laughs> we managed to slag off the Rolling Stones, ACDC, the Doors, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You mean by we, you mean you. There's, well, no, ex- there's, there's no excuse for beyond uh, the album with Under the Bridge and all that stuff like that. I'll give Red Hot Chili Peppers that. But beyond that, just, not, just stop. Just done. You're done. Well, uh, I, mm. See, yeah, another, I maybe could. another time, another time, yeah, I guess. All right. So until next time, I'm Ron. I do not take responsibility for anything that Ron said. Ron and I fanboy.com. I mean, honestly, Chad Smith is an amazing drummer. And John Frusciante is one of my top five guitarists of all time. I, I, I like Frusciante. Don't get me wrong. I like Frusciante. It just what? Needs, but I, I do not need Californication stuck in my head anymore. Yeah. Does that happen to you a lot? No, just enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> Ah, stop! <laughs>